Hi, I'm Mark Sermon, and thank you guys all for coming. You've already done the thing I was going to get you to do before I talked, which is talk to each other. So the fact that we're starting 15 minutes late is actually an illusion. We just had 15 minutes of programming that you didn't know you were experiencing. So thank you for participating in that experiment. So Philip and I are going to do a little thing just to frame why these events are happening. And as Helen said, there's five scheduled around the world. We had one in Toronto. It was far more chaotic and worse than this one, um, which is to say it was excellent. But you know, totally, we invented it as we went along. You guys are a part of that invention. There's one in um, British Columbia, which is a three-day one next mm, 10 days from now, one in Singapore a couple weeks from now, and then one in London in November. So you guys are inventing what the hell this event is about. So thanks. And um, you know, certainly, Philip and I will say why we think open everything is interesting, but the fact that you're here shows that you think it is. Um, and the two things we try to do in these events, which I'll just kind of take you through the, the agenda for a quick sense, which quick second, which is over here, is both look at why the sort of idea of open source thinking and open is kind of interesting and is a big idea that's, that's kind of uh, really got a lot of momentum, and also you know, what ha what's happening that's novel building on those ideas. So we have a mix of that through the agenda. Philip and I will set it up. You'll get a chance to say hi again to each other. We're then going to go through a series of Speed Geeks, which if you haven't done Speed Geeks before, it's kind of like a science fair and a drunken bar at the same time. Um, and you're going to hear 10 interesting and surprising open things that are happening mostly here in South Africa. Uh, some of them will be from farther away. We're then going to have coffee and a surprise. Uh, and after that, we will go into a case study, which I think is going to be one of the highlights of the day. Uh, Aslam from the Department of Science and Technology is going to give us a kind of inside view of the government of South Africa's open source policy. And then Matt and Steve are going to kind of interview him, and then you're all going to interview him. So we really understand how that all works. And you know, he's agreed to be a, a guinea pig and is smiling like uh, it's going to go well, and, and I believe it will. <laughs> so you know, we all trust each other. It's all good. Um, and then finally, uh, we're going to do some open space sessions, which means that anything else you want to talk about, and I know a couple of people already have sessions proposed, uh, we'll get to propose those, and we'll do them in small groups, and we'll eat dinner and drink some free wine and all of those kind of things, which is, as Helen just reminded me, called Ganein. Um, it's a little bad in-joke, I'm sorry. Um, so I think that's all the housekeeping stuff to set us up. Philip or Helen, anything else? All right. Oh, ooh. my list, please come and see me in a moment. And the paying is if you want to eat during the open space. If you're not going to eat, um, then you don't have to pay, because the paying is for the food, not for being here. Okay, so welcome for, to Open Everything. As it says very poorly on the wall, this is Open Everything. Philip is going to start by telling us why this is an interesting idea and why we're having an event about it, and then I'll help him. Yes. Thanks, Mark, and welcome, everyone. Um, so can you, yes, um, we're going to try to do this interactively. Um, so there's been a lot of talk around open and often related to innovation and software and all these new technologies, but it, it actually makes sense to step back and uh, think of open as quite an old idea. So the idea of the commons is, an, is something that we are all very familiar with. And I'm not just talking about uh, kind of the African concept of Ubuntu or the gift uh, giving that we see in Papua New Guinea. Um, but also open in innovation. And um, one of the most documented examples is actually the steam engine, which you see here. It's the Cornish uh, steam engine, please. 
And um, what we've seen happen here is that there was a period of closeness where people protected their knowledge and they invented um, the first version of the steam engine. And then there was a period of openness. And what we see in the green number is the efficiency of the innovation increased tremendously during the open period. So even in this kind of dark age of the industrial uh, uh, revolution, which was the beginning of the closed age, we see that the open approach has worked really, really well. I think uh, the, the uh, handover hasn't been choreographed very well. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we often think of sort of open source. And how many people kind of identify as a part of the, the techie side of this whole open thing, open technology, just to get a sense of the, the room? Very cool that it's such a small number, and, uh, which, which isn't always the, the case. And obviously, you know, one of the things that has inspired conversations like we have around open source and open content and open education is that, you know, something really big has happened with software and then things like Wikipedia. And if we go to the next slide, that's very much the same in some ways as the older ideas of the commons, the things that happened with the steam engine. But I think some of the reasons we've gotten so excited about it is the velocity at which ideas that are driving innovation uh, can move around the world has, has gotten much, much faster than ever was the case. And the cost of moving ideas around and the cost of trying things and innovating, especially because of, you know, these open things being tied into them, but also simply because of the internet and other things like that, has gone dramatically down. And then, on the third slide, uh, <laughs> what that's meant is the scale of these things is dramatically larger than when we kind of had these open innovation cycles or these ideas of the commons in the past. Wikipedia is a global resource in dozens and dozens of languages, or the speed at which kind of a new educational project can take off is much faster and, and kind of more global than anything that we kind of ever have experienced. So even though we saw openness in that steam engine example really fueling things, you know, England is a pretty small place compared to how quickly new ideas move around the world now. So something is going on that's old, but it's also much bigger, and we think much more meaningful than it has been in the past in some way. Yes, and if we try to get an idea of how big things have really gotten, there are two great examples. One is Wikipedia, everyone is familiar with, but um, just some of the latest statistics on the site is, uh, Wikipedia now has as many readers as South Africa has citizens. So there are 48 million reader, readers, roughly, of Wikipedia. It gets 220,000 edits, just the English version, every day. And it's about 175,000 people that participate each month in making Wikipedia this amazing resource. Um, but it's not just the size of Wikipedia that is amazing, it's also the diversity. So um, I've kind of arrowed in on some of the African languages, South African languages. But what you see here is really that this has started in, in kind of the, the developed world. And it has expanded into all parts of the world. And um, this is one of the amazing things about openness that it doesn't just support big projects, but also that it encourages small projects and diversity. And then, you know, this guy on his own in his college dorm or his parents' basement or wherever he was, does anybody know who this guy is? It's Mark Shuttleworth. No. <laughs> who is it, Helen? It's Linus Torvald. And people actually probably recognize the next person more, um, this penguin, who, you know, he's not the same person, but, you know, this guy decided to do a little experiment in his basement. He invited other people into it. Uh, and we ended up with this operating system that runs a big part of the Internet and increasingly is a part of the consumer experience 
uh, of using you know, just computers, laptops, which is Linux. And that came from something very small because of those low costs and those networks becoming very big through collaboration. So we, you know, we know that these big things can happen. I think we're, most people, certainly most people in this room, are probably convinced that that's interesting and important. But just to sit and talk about that, well, we know that. So what? I think the so what is there's a lot of other things, that's why we haven't opened everything, where these same ways of working are kind of spreading and people are trying to use these open source ways of working in other domains. And so we want to talk maybe just a couple of examples of that just to frame the conversation a little. Is the first one me? Let's see. Oh, it is. Uh, this is something called the Open Architecture Network and it's a, a website run by uh, an NGO called Architecture for Humanity. And Architecture for Humanity basically Want, you know, before they started Open Architecture Network, was trying to get kind of sustainable, cheap, ecological building designs out there for people who needed them, for the you know, however many billions of people in the world who have shitty housing. And if we hit this, the next slide, you know, basically what they did was they invited architects who cared about that issue to collaborate and submit their architectural designs. So it's a very simple idea, much like open source software. Take your design, open it up, and let anybody copy it and reuse it and remix it. So you know you can put a design up there, uh, put it under Creative Commons, and hopefully other people will take it and improve it and give it back. And so if you go to the next slide, here's an example of a, a straw bale school in Pakistan that somebody had come up with. Um, I actually don't like the license they chose, which is the Creative Commons Developing World license, but it's a longer conversation. But they threw it up there, and so it's you know you just see a very simple application of this software idea into architecture. It is playing. Um, we don't have sound, so I'm just going to talk over this. But the, a lot of these open examples have to do with the internet or technology. And this is an example where open has worked really, really well. And it has nothing to do with computers. Um, it's called clunking, actually, what these people are doing. And they're racing downhill on self-built clunks, which is what they referred to at, at those times. And the reason why they built them is they were interested in getting away from the cops and cars and go into the mountains and race their bikes, but there weren't bikes that you could race down the mountain. So they took parts of motorbikes and parts of the bicycles that they had, and they combined them, and they threw out all the stuff they didn't need, and they shared their designs with other people. And they, there was a, a famous or infamous meeting where these kind of designs cross-pollinated, and one group taught some things to the other. And, and the result is, um, and actually there's a great documentary about this called Clunkers, and uh, it's even better with sound. But... Uh, <laughs> Um, so just to, to kind of see what this has become, uh, there was no industry involvement for many, many years, but now clunks make up almost 40% of the bicycle market, and I just looked this up on the internet yesterday, um, which only in the U.S. is 6 billion U.S. dollars. So these kind of hippies, and I think that's what they referred, would refer to uh, as an, uh, in retrospect, came up with this new design that now became the largest part of the bicycle industry and they did it by sharing their ideas. So another website, this one called theyworkforyou.com. Has anybody heard of this website before? So other than Helen, who happens, whose postal code you'll see in a moment. Um, <laughs> so this is a site in the United Kingdom, which basically, oh, there's her postal code right there, just so, in case you wanted to know. Um, it only gets you close to her house. Uh, where basically, you know, you can do the things that it sounds like it does, which is talk to the politicians that work for you or find out about them. And in particular, find out about how they're voting, where they stand on policy issues. And, you know, that's interesting. 
Why is that open, or what's interesting that's open about it other than that it makes government transparent? Useful probably in its own right. But go to the next slide. Um, you know, what's interesting about it is that it allows you to basically view the whole historical record or the whole recent historical record of parliament through the lens of any particular politician, including your local politician. So this is Helen's local member of parliament in, in Northwest Hampshire. And if we go to the next slide, we can basically see how he voted on all sorts of different things and kind of where he leans politically. And how they do that is they basically take the Hansard, the record of parliament, and they parse it on a bunch of issues that they're tracking automatically. So and this is a kind of three people in a tiny little office. And they basically use the record of parliament as an open source resource that they slice and dice so that people can really track and find meaningfully what it is that's going on with their politicians. So it's kind of looking at an open source, which we've always seen as open, and remixing it in a way that is really powerful and kind of makes democracy something that's more meaningful, accessible, and easy to understand for individuals. And the last uh, example of openness uh, is the, the bar camps, and that's directly related to what we're doing here. Um, it started as a, actually as a, um, a response to a closed event, the Foo Camps, which was like an elite geek event, one-day conference uh, organized by Tim O'Reilly. And so some people saw this, and they were maybe a bit upset that they didn't get invited and they couldn't participate, and they said, well, we can do this as well. I know enough geek friends, and we'll just set up a wiki, and we say, this is what we want to do, and we get our friends to blog about it. Um, and then we'll get together, and we'll have a kind of open schedule, and we track everything we do so people who can't make it to the event can participate. And as a result, now there are bar camps in, I think, over 90 cities all around the world. And in a way, we are a mini bar camp-like event. And it has not just spawned open everything, but it has spawned a lot of other events. And there are some people here who will be speaking about, I guess, 27 dinner, one could say, is somewhat related to, to bar camps, geek dinners. So uh, maybe Dave can speak about bar camp a little more. Um, but uh, so we've had a, a f what we wanted to do with these examples is say, um, people talk about Wikipedia and open source software, but there's all this other amazing stuff that's happening around the world. And these are some of the examples, and there'll be a lot more examples in this room that, that throughout the day we hopefully get to share. Um, one more. <laughs> so with this diversity, it's useful, or a lot of people ask, so what do you actually mean by open? What's the definition of open that we can use? How do you characterize things that are open? And in some areas, and um, namely thanks to the man in the middle, um, Richard Stallman, we have a very good definition for software. He um, coined the, the definition for free software. And the same definition is applied pretty much 100% to content. So for software and content, we have a pretty good definition, which um, rests on four fundamental freedoms that Richard Stallman defined. Um, it's the freedom to use something. It's the freedom... I'm actually going to run through different... It's the freedom to study how, how it works. So in software, it means you make the source code available so other people can see how you wrote the software. Um, it's the freedom to remix it, which means improve it, change it, uh, build something that is more useful, useful for your particular case based on someone else's work. And then to copy it, and copy is actually redistribute. So you can then, after you've done all these things, you can give it to your friends and put it on the internet and other people can do the same thing. So, you know, I, I think what, as we kind of move into the open everything world, as people take these ideas that, that they come from people like Richard Stallman and also have deeper roots into places like education, 
it's easy to say what's open if there's a kind of particular artifact we can touch, whether that's a textbook or whether that's a piece of software or even a piece of hardware. We can use those four freedoms roughly and all the different kind of open source and, and free content and software definitions basically go around those principles. But what happens with something like Barcamp where we're not talking about a physical uh, artifact? Increasingly people start using this word open really freely around processes like this. So is this an open meeting because how it's organized and you guys get to shape a lot of the program? Or is it closed because we don't let people in the door? And you know there are questions that we have to start asking because we've got good definitions for stuff we can point to, to digital textual artifacts. But what does it mean when we start using this to talk about uh, processes. And so some of the things that if you start to, to just kind of observe something like a bar camp, something like this, when people talk about government, uh, other things that people throw open around, is there tend to be some, some things in common. And nobody's really written down the sort of uh, time and space open definition. But it really is that there is transparency, right? We can see how this works. We're going to get to program some of the agenda. That it's participatory. That it's not just sort of one person or, or one group of people controlling how it works, that it's permeable, that people can kind of get in and out and, and decide to join, uh, and certainly that it's remixable or malleable or that we can all in some way have a, a role in shaping it. And so I think one of the things that's exciting about these open everything conversations and the conversation we're going to have today is we're actually in a, a next era of defining some more of this terrain of what's open beyond what we already kind of know. So that's the point of certainly the next half hour and also the rest of the day, which is to say what's open to you. Um, so what we wanted to do was, we have about 25 minutes before we want to jump into the Speed Geeks, is give you a job. And the job is to say, you came here for some reason, you were, actually I asked a friend of mine who really doesn't know much about anything we've been talking about for the last 10 minutes, why did you come to Open Everything Toronto? She said, I'm violently intrigued. And, and so everybody here hopefully is at least intrigued in some way, maybe not violently. So what is it about open that either is a part of your daily practice, your work, your life, your passion, or what brought you here, what was interesting about it? And the task is to find, over the course of the next 25 minutes, five people you don't know and spend five minutes telling them what's open for you, why does it matter? And we're just going to do that. We'll hopefully know more about each other and more about what's open. Uh, by the end of that. So start looking around, find someone. I will either shout or bugle loudly when you need to find somebody else you don't know. <laughs> 